All right, thanks for that. Well, that was, uh, that was a blessing. Thank you, the Portillo family. Just an opportunity to see an update there, and I hope that you have been praying faithfully for our missionaries over the course of this past year. And that was a great report, very encouraged and moved by that. And it's hard to believe it's already been 11 years, you said, and that's gone so quickly. But I'll tell you what, Brother Ricardo, he's a real deal. You know, we were, I mentioned um, earlier that we were at the wedding uh, of his sister and Jai, and, you know, afterwards you generally have the reception, and um, it's really just a time to, to just relax, have, uh, have some food, and enjoy each other's company. But, you know, what I noticed out of the peripheral there as I was walking, I saw Brother Ricardo talking to some of the guests about the gospel. And just, you know, just the opportunity there to sit while we were waiting for all of the photos to happen and all the food to come out and all of the rest of it. Just watched him, this uh, missionary who ministers in Nicaragua, but he wasn't off duty. <laughs> uh, there were still people to reach. And so just sitting there, just chatting with this, uh, this couple, and, and I just, that, that challenged me, actually, as I... As I watched that and, you know, began silently praying that the Lord would move in the hearts of that couple and they didn't quite get there as far as their conviction for a need of a saviour, but I continue to, I continue to pray for them and, and find out that, um, that one day they'll get saved and I think it was one of your workmates, Evelyn, and so just a good opportunity to follow up for her as well, but it's good to be here this morning, good to, to be in the house of the Lord on the last day of the year. And I'm sure all of us here have had different plans for the course of this past week. And you've no doubt had longer nights than you usually do and earlier mornings, perhaps maybe later mornings, actually. And you've just tried to stay out of the heat as much as you can. And, uh, you know, towards the end of the year, there's just a general sense of weariness for the year uh, that sometimes can pervade um, every part of our lives. And we can get into it um, a little bit with, with all of the merrymaking that we, we have. And that's all good. It's all well and good as we, we rest and we just take the time to uh, have a bit of a breather. And then we get into the new year and, and things sort of start to, start to get going again. For most of us, you're, you're going to have a little bit of time still before you return to work. For some who already have. But regardless of all of that, I want you to... Just remember this morning just how much we, we need to just keep our sight on the Lord and just continue to just move into the year, not, not taking a break from the, the reality of our Christian life, but making that sure and, and reinforcing that as we have opportunity. But in Matthew chapter 2, and, and we've read there probably a familiar passage of Scripture, no doubt, as you've maybe taken the time to read a little bit more of the Christmas account, that this story is generally lumped into that. And you'll find that uh, over the course of your time, probably you've noticed uh, different nativity scenes that would have included in that the, the three wise men. And yet, as we read the scriptures this morning, if you were paying attention a little bit and uh, maybe you've, you've been through this scripture before, you probably noticed that really they come now, these wise men, and we don't really know the, the number of them. They came bearing gifts, and they came when Jesus was now a young child. And so this probably, most, most would agree that this was at least two years later after the fact. And they were still there in Bethlehem, and we know that the star guides them over there. We know prophetically they understood some things. And so they initially, they went over to Bethlehem to inquire, just thinking he's the king of the Jews. He's got to be at the capital of this nation. And they head over there and only to find out from the, the different scribes and, and, and those who were more learned that actually where the birthplace prophesied was this little town called Bethlehem. And so now they take a bit of a detour from Jerusalem over to Bethlehem and they find there finally a young child, Jesus. And, and importantly, the Bible tells us that they came to worship. They came understanding who Jesus is and and I hope that, that that has not been lost on us 
as we have gone through all of our different celebrations and all of our different family traditions and all of those things that can become part of this season, that we haven't lost sight of the fact that not only do we come to celebrate the birth of a Savior, but actually we also just take the time to worship the King. In fact, He's not just a King, He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And so often when we come into this time of our li- uh, time of the year, we can become a little bit, uh, a little bit on the back foot as far as our, our worship, and we come, can a little uh, times become a little lackadaisical about our worship and, and not allowing that to continue to be the focus of our lives. And yet what we find in, in this, this particular story of Scripture, the wise men came prepared. Why? Because they understood who Jesus was. They understood that they weren't just coming to, a, 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 to see a child. No, they were coming to see the Savior, but just as importantly, they were coming to see the King. He was the King. He was sovereign. This was the King of kings, the Lord of lords that they were coming to see. And they came very much prepared with the right gifts. You ever been to uh, a, a, an event, maybe a birthday, and you, or maybe this past week your Christmas celebrations and it wasn't in your house and you had to had a list of things that you needed to bring and you, you brought some things and then you went on your way and you forgot the important thing, the gifts, right? You, you try to pack appropriately and uh, yesterday we had the, uh, the, the joy of missing the storm here and we drove over to Lamington National Park and, uh, and Mark Deering, he's been pestering us all year, all right, and, and we finally gave in and we said, all right, we'll take the boys hiking, all right? So we went, and we took a couple of the boys, my boys, and uh, the Andersons and the parents. We all went, and uh, we, we went hiking, and we didn't really know what to expect. I probably should have asked more questions, but all I said was, well, it's a hike. In my mind, I define a hike, and just for further information for future reference for everyone, when I think about a hike, I'm thinking five, maybe seven kilometers, all right? And, and so I packed enough for that. I had... Uh, some change of clothes for the boys and, uh, and for myself, actually. I didn't pack for the boys. Maybe that's why. But um, <laughs> I also brought a towel and, and some water bottles, enough for that. And we got in there, and it was a beautiful day. We got up the mountain there, and, and it was just a pleasant day. And, and I know I was getting phone calls from here saying, hey, it's storming here. Well, we didn't miss it. We didn't see a thing about that. It was a beautiful day. But as we began walking, we finally got to the swimming hole, we, we got there after about a six kilometer. I thought that was it. I thought we were done. And then you know how it is. You get there, and then you have to hike all the way back. And guess what? Mr. Deering was, uh, was in charge, so he decided we're going to go the long way, and we took us another 12 kilometers, all right? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, if I'm feeling, a little, uh, I'm feeling a little weary today, I threatened to just sit on a stool here this morning and be a little bit, you know, liberal, but no, we won't do that. We've got a wooden pulpit now, by the way. And so, uh, so we were just weary. And, you know, my, uh, the, the youngest there was Jaden. He was a trooper. He, he kept going. He, we were thankful for him because he, he kept Daniel and I in good pace. We kept up with, with Jaden, and that was a good excuse. It was actually our lack of fitness. But we made it is the point. But we didn't pack appropriately. Why? We didn't realize the occasion fully. And yet what we find with these wise men is they came with a full realization of who it was they were going to come worship. They understood who it was. They understood that this was not merely just another birthday that they were going to get to and any, any old gift will do. No, these were appropriate gifts for the Savior. They were appropriate gifts for the King. And they came, and, and if you understand the the. These three gifts, really historically, they were just three gifts that typically you would bring in recognition of a monarch. There's different historical accounts where different other kings would be given these gifts. We read that there in verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts Gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, as we think about this Christmas season, one of the, the, the things that we like most is we just love the fact that there's gifts, the opening of gifts. 
we're just hoping that, 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 that we dropped enough hints to our wife and for, for you ladies, to your husband, you've given enough, enough hints and, and enough warning and enough clues as to what you should be able to get during Christmas. And, and hopefully you open your gifts and you were surprised but also relieved that you got the right gift, that, that it was appropriate for you. And, and, you know, there's always, I think they, we have boxing days because we get those gifts that we don't really like and we re-box them and then we re-gift them. Anyone like that? All right, if, I, if that happens with something you gave me, I apologize. But, you know, there's just something about that getting an appropriate gift. It speaks to the understanding of who that person is. It speaks to the, the thoughtfulness of someone to know what you're like and who you are. And so they come, these wise men, appropriately giving these, this gold, this frankincense, and this myrrh. And they didn't come approaching the Savior, approaching the King empty-handed. You know, so often we come along and we uh, can come to the Lord a little bit empty-handed, a little bit just with a bit of a, a blasé and casual attitude. And, and yet, so often when we see the, the Lord being approached by those who are full of worship, they came with a great preciousness in hand. I can't help but uh, recall the, uh, another uh, account of, of Scripture where one came with a determination to worship Jesus and they came with a whole year's worth of, uh, she came with a whole year's worth of salary, this alabaster box full of ointment, full of fragrance and she broke it and she anointed Jesus, and we understand that she will become into remembrance every time the gospel is preached because she understood something about the Lord. And so many times we can approach God a little bit in, in a mode of worship, but maybe not acknowledging fully how we should approach Him. You know, they didn't come empty-handed. They came prepared to worship. And these gifts that we read about is the expression of their worship to this king that they understood to be. And you see, uh, what I'm saying this morning is actually true worship is costly. And true worship in, in, the, in the right way comes not with a, with a cheap emotional experience. True worship comes with an understanding of the value of whom we have come to worship. And we ascribe to him the one that is, uh, that is worthy to be worshipped, a costliness about it. And so it is today as we look to start another year. I want to challenge you about these different gifts then, that, that we can approach our King Jesus with. And I want to ask the question, is he worthy of worship to you? Is he someone that you understand fully who he is or is he just someone that you just are thankful for because now you have some sort of ticket to heaven? Is he worthy of worship to you? Is he worth counting the cost? Is he someone that, that as the wise man sought with great costliness that you would come with a great, uh, great adoration and, a, and a, great, uh, a great understanding and a great appropriateness for who he is. They came with all of their time, all of their talents and all of their treasures and they were surrendered why? So they can truly worship the one true king that they sought. And, and that's always evidence of true worshipers. True worshipers come bearing gifts. True worshipers come with gifts that are fitting for the one that they have come to worship. And uh, we all actually have that in hand today. And I want to show you what else these gifts represented so that we, can, we too can come bearing appropriate gifts in our, in our worship of King Jesus. And so really this morning, we're just going to look at gold. And we're going to look at frankincense and we're going to look at myrrh. Because those were the Christmas gifts that, that we read here in Scripture this morning. And firstly, I want you to note gold. They presented unto him gifts, gold. I think we all know what gold is. Probably in your, on your person today, there's at least some sort of gold Symbol. If you're married, you probably have a gold ring to signify your, your, that you are married indeed. You know, it, it might come with a bit of a, a more of a silver luster. Maybe it's white gold that you, you like. That's, that's your preference. But it's gold. 
gold is still the standard of value by which we compare something's worth. And we understand that gold in this context speaks of, of his deities. It speaks of his kingship. You know, gold is something that is sought all over the world. In, uh, in 1851, the population of Australia suddenly start to, started to soar between 1851 to 1893. Do you know why? Because that was the gold rush. Gold was suddenly discovered in Bathurst over there in New South Wales and suddenly in, in the gold fields of Victoria in Ballarat and Bendigo and, and from everywhere people flocked and they started to come along and not because Australia is what it is today but because gold was found in Australia. It was something of great value. It's some, something that is not just found in your backyard. It's not just found just if you dig anywhere in the ground, you're not just going to find gold. It's something that is of great value. It's something that's very precious because it's rare. And we still, today, we still understand what gold is. We, uh, we, we, we recognize someone who is a great quality. We say that they are of gold standard. We look at the Olympics and the first place winner doesn't get anything else but a gold medal. We understand that gold is of great value. And so we understand then, then that appropriately they come with gold. And yet gold is still something that, that we, again, understand that is preeminent. We give golden crowns. We, later on, we'll see that God has a golden scepter. In Exodus 38, verse 24, all the gold that was occupied for the work in all the work of the holy place, even the gold of the offering was 20 and 9 talents and 730 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. And if you, you study a little bit of the building of the temple of God, much of it was gold. We understand that in heaven the streets are made of gold. And so very early on, even in the Bible, it's mentioned in Genesis where gold came from. We know again in, the, uh, in, the, in heaven that the city was pure gold. The, the streets of the city was pure gold. And, and I'm saying God has something that he understands about gold that we also understand. It's of great value. But you know what else gold signifies? It signifies other things. Firstly, gold is a recognition of ownership. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, if you've got a stashed away deposit of gold, you may have paid for it, but actually it's all God's. It's his. And so gold is a picture of ownership. In Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. So everything that is on this earth is God's. So, so we dig up and, and yes, we, we may find, uh, find somewhere, maybe you, you just happen to just stumble your toe on a big nugget of gold and you can take that home and you can hide it and get it valued and you're waiting for the price of gold to hit its, uh, its absolute peak and you're going you're gonna to sell that, but actually it's God's. He's the owner. And gold is a picture of ownership. And, and, and in Psalm 24, verse 1, the Bible again reiterates, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. And so you think about one of the most valuable commodities in the world, one of the rarest, gold, and God says, it's all mine. And so gold is a type of, in a picture of ownership. But then if we continue to study Scripture a little bit more, look at, Revelation chapter 14, look at Revelation chapter 14, and we'll turn in our Bibles a little bit more than typical today, Revelation chapter 14, so I hope you've got it handy, look at verses 13 to 15, look at verse 13, thanks for turning there, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. And notice this about Jesus, having on his head a golden crown, and his hand a sharp sickle. 
You know what what the the Lord had on his person was a golden crown. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He would have a golden crown. You, you see monarchs with the 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 the, the different treasure treasures that they have in their treasuries, and uh, you've probably saw the crowning of Charles, and you have the golden crown. You understand that it's it's a it's a symbol of something. Notice in Revelation chapter one. Go go back to chapter one now. And, and notice here again the uh, uh, picture of the Lord Jesus. I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So even around his waist, there a symbol again of who he is, gold. And here's what it is. It's not only a recognition of, of his ownership. What gold represents, it's a recognition of his authority. You know, authority is above us. And, and here, as we see uh, the resurrected Savior shown us over and over again in the book of Revelation. We see Jesus who one day will come through the clouds with, a, with that, that title, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and He's going to come with great vengeance upon this earth. And you know what else He is clothed with? He's clothed with gold. Golden crown, golden girdle. There's also the scepter. And when we see that all, the, all, all that pictured for us in the book of Revelation, you know what, gold also, it's a recognition of authority. It's a recognition that someone has authority. And, and what we see in particular with, with our Lord Jesus Christ, as they gave the gold, they recognized his absolute authority. They say, this is yours anyway. You are the king. And, and, and you know, the... Many times we could just look at gold and we could so, sort of say, you know, it's about giving our best to the Savior. And that's, that's true in, in some ways. But you know what it, what it is even more? You know, if in 2024, if we're actually going to give God the worship that he deserves, we ought to give the, him the gold of our lives. What it is is we're ascribing ownership to him and we're ascribing authority to him over our own lives. Now, none of us like that. We like to think we're our own person. We like to think that we're in control. We like to think that every decision that we ought to make, we ought to be consulted about that. But listen, overall, if we're going to truly worship God the way we ought to, if we're going to truly ascribe to Him the value that He ought to have in our lives, then the kind of goal that we're going to give God is, is an ascribing of His authority over our lives that we would give him authority, that we would give him ownership, that we would recognize that we're actually just stewards of this life that God has given, that, that the gold of my life actually belongs to him. You know, um, what gold is, our gold, the gold that we offer him is just raw gold. You know, gold in its raw form is, is, is pretty valuable, it's valuable enough. But you know, gold, the way the, if it's going to be of greater value, it's going to have to be purified. And then the gold that we buy, the gold that is worth quite a bit, is then is, is suddenly is also shaped. It's molded. One of the, the, the great things about gold is that it's a soft metal. It can be molded in different shapes. It can be molded to fit uh, the, the, the event like a crown and and all of that, and, and, and typically, typically gold that's been purified is of greater value. And, and here's the, the thing about the gold we offer God. You see, the Bible tells us in Job chapter 23, he says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You know, the kind of gold that, that the Lord Jesus is seeking after is the, the, the kind of gift that we ought to give him isn't just the kind of raw gold of recognition of his ownership and authority, but also one of a willingness to be molded and refined. You know, one of the things that you're going to find 
if you're, you're really seeking God, is He's going to purify you. He, he's going to allow you to go through some things that sometimes can be painful. That sometimes can be life-changing. And what it is, is God is trying to get us to a place where we can offer Him gold that's purified. Where we can offer Him gold that's been reshaped and molded for His usage. And in Job, He talks about that. He, we know Job. Job was a man who was perfect in his generation. He eschewed evil. The Bible says that Job had a great, great riches. He had great, uh, great influence. And Job was someone that was greatly regarded in his day. And yet, there was still more in Job's life that needed to be refined. And he went through that great trial, that great catastrophe, that when we read about it, it ought to send some shudders down our spine and, and, and make our knees shake, that God can do that and God could allow that in someone even as faithful as Job's life. And he looks at Job and Job recognizes that at the end of it, it was all about refining in his life. That God saw the raw gold of Job's life and God saw greater value enough to say, I'm going to try you, Job. You know, none of us here truly in the depths of our heart truly want to go through any kind of trying. We resist it. We do all we can to ensure that, you know, somehow we can avoid any kind of... But, you know, the reality is that those who God wants to greatly use, he's going to allow some greater trials. There's going to be some things that God's going to use in our lives that refine us. And why? Because he sees the gold that we can offer him. And in 1 Peter 1.7, the Bible says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, one day... We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and right there before us are the works that we have uh, produced in our lives. And it's going to burn up and it's either going to be wood, hay or stubble or gold, silver and precious stone. And it's the thing that remains. And yet right now God is allowing some trials of our faith. And so don't be surprised. You shouldn't have, if you look back at 2023, there probably, there's probably was or probably still is some trials in your life that actually for the whole purpose of it is God's refining and God saying, give me your gold. Give it to me. Let, let me refine it. Let, let me shape it the way it needs to be shaped. Let me give it the, the, greatest, uh, the, the greatest treatment so it could become of great value to me. And yet so many of us would resist that. So many of us, including myself, we shudder at the thought that we would go through such tremendous trying and such tremendous reshaping and such tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, trouble and trial. Why? You know, we often go through those times and we just can't wait to finish. And, we, you know, thankfully God does bring us through. But at the end of it, His desire is that we would be more precious than of gold that perisheth. You know, many times, really, it's up to us. Look at Second Timothy. Look at look at Second Timothy, chapter two. And familiar verses here in verses twenty to twenty-one. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Notice verse 21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. You know, he's saying there, he says, purge himself from these. There's a, there's a willingness to go through some purging in our lives. There's a willingness to, to trust God in the process of refining in the process of going through a, a fiery trial at times. And there's a, there's a willingness to allow God to put us through some things that make us greatly uncomfortable and bring us through great discomfort. Why? For the purpose of shaping, refining, and 
seeing greater value in the end. That's gold. That's the gold of our lives. And, you know, we, we think of gold as a, as a luxury, and it is. We think of gold as the luxurious life. We think of gold as in we have a gold standard as, as having the best of everything. But the reality is when God sees gold, He sees us giving over the authority of our lives to Him. And He sees us giving our lives over a willingness for some molding and refining. How's that for a thought for 2024? It might, 2024 might be the year that God changes your life forever, but not the way that you want it. Not the way that we wanted, in, not, the, not the way we wrote down in our, you know, goals for 2024. We, we might actually go through some pain. We, we might actually go through some, some heavy testing and trial. And, and, and I've lived long enough in my Christian life to understand that actually when we do come out of it, it is much more precious than gold that perisheth. And I hope that that, that would be you. You know, if you're going through some trials right now, or God has placed some pressures in your life, then, then I want to encourage you to see it as God's refining. I want to encourage you to surrender your gold to Him in the year to come, and, and He's going to make you finer and greater. But then we see, secondly, not only did they present unto Him gifts, gold, the Bible says that He gave frankincense. And frankincense is an interesting Thing. It's, an, it's an odorous resin. If you ever looked at frankincense, it can come in, in little beads and come in, in, in different, different colors at times. And it comes from a, a particular tree that, that grows in the areas surrounding Israel and Israel itself and in different places around the world now. It was one of the ingredients in the perfume of the sanctuary and the temple. And frankincense is, is, is a valuable resource even today. If you wanted pure frankincense, you're looking at paying over $50 a kilo. And you, you look at that and, and uh, if you, 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 the, the process of, of, of producing frankincense is one that was very involved. And frankincense, the Bible says in, in Song of Solomon 4.14, spikenard and saffron Calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the chief spices. It really is naturally grown. comes out of the earth. But it's prepared for a specific use. And frankincense was of the earth. It was produced naturally, but it was prepared for a certain purpose. It was prepared to be an, an odor that was refreshing, an odor that was recognizable. And what it is, it's a picture, firstly, it's a picture of Jesus' humanity and deity. It, it speaks to the fact that Jesus is 100% human, but also 100% God. And this was a recognition of the miracle of Jesus, that this was God in the flesh. We learned a little bit about that last, last week. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Someone once said, about, about this in the one person, Jesus Christ, there are two natures, a human nature and a divine nature, each in its completeness and integrity, and these two natures are organically and indissolubly united, yet so that no third nature is formed thereby. He's 100%, 100%. Now, I can't explain that to you. We just know that that's the case, that God the Son could take upon himself the fullness of, of our, our humanity, and yet have the fullness of the nature of God. That's a miracle, by the way. And we see that this, this one, he was born of a virgin, foretold in Scripture, and the miracle was not the actual birth, but the conception of, of, of Christ, born of a virgin. And this was just not, not just, uh, just a, a fluke encounter. No, this was God's purpose. This was God's will. This was God's plan that he himself as the Son of God would come in the likeness of His, his creation. And He came and He took on the, the, this robe of flesh that we all carry and yet without sin became the willing and perfect sacrifice for you and I. 
And he came, and frankincense speaks about that. It's a recognition of that miracle, but it's a recognition of his suitability. In Romans 8.3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And, and God needed a man perfect in every way to be a suitable sacrifice. And that was, again, a type and a picture of frankincense. In Hebrews 4.15, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And I'm so thankful today that we have in our Savior the suitable one. He was the suitable Savior. No one else was suitable. And in frankincense, there's nothing like it. It was, it was produced... But then it, it came with this great uh, odorous resin. And you know what it else it is? Look at Exodus chapter 30. And interestingly here, look at it, Exodus chapter 30. Look what else frankincense was, uh, was used for. Exodus chapter 30, look at verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses... Take unto thee sweet spices, stacti and onica and galbanum, and these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put, it, put of it before the testimony and tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most, most holy. It was one of the ingredients for the fragrance of the temple. You ever been somewhere and you just instantly recognize that's where you're at? It's just got a, a certain scent. And frankincense was one of the ingredients. And we won't take the time, but in other places, in Leviticus and Exodus, we see in part of the instruction given to Moses was that actually that frankincense was part of that grounding and then that marinade that came onto some of the meat offerings. And, and you, you see that frankincense was also an ingredient used as edible. And, you know, you ever been somewhere and you've been very hungry, just like we were yesterday afternoon. We were really hungry after 18 Ks of walking up and down the bush. But we, sometimes you, you, you smell a wafting of a barbecue, right? You, you, where we, we were ministering in Sydney across the way was a, was a Lebanese barbecue it was charcoal chicken. Anyone, immediately my thought, I could smell it right now. And sometimes I think some of the members over there would tell them to start the barbecue early because they know I'd smell it and preach a little quicker. But, you know, it was just this, there's a smell. It transports me right there. I can picture the seats. I can picture the, the store. I could picture all of that. You know, there's this certain marinades that you just know it's theirs. Um, Brother John Delostreus, his dad, uh, Uncle Roger is what we call him, but Uncle Roger has a, has a secret family recipe. He's got a certain marinade for barbecue chicken. And I'll tell you, who, who knows who Dr. Gibbs is? Dr. Gibbs, David Gibbs. You know the man can eat, right? He, he swears that the best barbecue chicken he's ever eaten was Uncle Roger's barbecue chicken. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he, he begged. And, and, you know, if you know Dr. Gibbs as well, He's a master negotiator, all right? He will make you cry, but, and I've seen him make others cry, but um, he, he wanted the recipe for that, and, and Uncle Roger refused. I, I couldn't believe it. You know, he, he was, he was, he said, I will pay you, I will not, he wouldn't give it, give it away, it's a family secret. But you know when you, you've eaten Uncle Roger's barbecue chicken that you've had his marinade. It, it's nothing, there's nothing like it anywhere else around the world. And we see that, that as part of God's mixing of the offering, in his instruction, he had given a, a, a rub. He had given something that was to be part of that offering, and it was this frankincense. And in Leviticus 2.1, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. And so there's this picture there of, of, again, the Lord Jesus as a sacrifice. He came in, the, in the, the, all of the, the meat offering, but he was to be coated in 
this frankincense. And so frankincense not only speaks of his humanity, but it speaks also of his deity. It's, it's, it comes as one thing. It comes as one part, a recognition of who he is. But it also, in, in that, there's a great picture for us. It's a kind of sacrifice that pleases God. It's not that, that we just come in the raw form of who we are. Actually, we're supposed to approach God in his likeness, in godliness. You know what frankincense also represents for you and I? It represents godliness. That we would come to him not just with our talents, not just with our abilities, not just with our sacrificial giving, not just with an attitude that, hey, you know, this is... No, his, 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 his desire for you and I is that we would come with frankincense, that we would come with godliness. That's why many times when we would come, even the Bible tells us we would come to the altar and we would have a gift, but we have ought with a brother, leave the gift and go make it right with your brother. Why? Because he understands that it's not just about the sacrifice. The Bible tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. That we're supposed to approach God in our service, in, in our, our sacrifice of service, our, our sacrifice of our talents, our sacrifice of our finances, our sacrifice of, of those things, and we offer up our lives to Him. It's not simply our lives. It's a life that is godly as well. You know, I think sometimes we come along and we think God just will take us and we understand that prior to salvation, God will take us for what we are. We're sinners. And then we're saved by grace. But listen, after that, God has given you the ability to live righteously and godly. And God has given you a command to be holy as He is holy. And the frankincense that we offer is actually a life of godliness as we offer ourselves to Him. We're supposed to come with an understanding that we've got to be more godly, that we are to be more like Him, that we're not to just go about and serve Him and, and, and offer up ourselves just with a blasé attitude. No, we're supposed to come and have some cleansing. We're supposed to have the perfume of godliness that when we come before prayer, as we offer up sacrifices of praise in prayer, that we're supposed to get some things right and get some godliness on us. And you know, I'm thankful that it's not in our own ability to do that. It's actually in, in His ability. He's made us righteous. But now we have this, this, this fragrance that's meant to be emitting and, and coming before Him with great, really great godliness. See, the frankincense mixed with the meat offering, it represented for, for us just that, that perfect union of who we are, but what God has given us. And what God has given us is the ability to be godly. You know, we, need just, we just need to be, we just need more godly Christians today. <laughs> we just need godly people who would just understand that, that it's not simply just here it is, no. There's, there's, a, there's a preparation that, that as we come up here and we have a time where we worship God through song and we come as we gather together in the assembly as we offer up our sacrifices of praise that actually we would approach that time with the godliness, the fragrance of that, the frankincense of godliness. You know, a life that seeks to live holy as he is holy, holy is, is really a, a life of of love, a life of, of passion for Him. And, and that ought to be our desire, and that's a life of godliness. You know, one of the things that we can offer God is just to be more godly in 2024. To, to just do things with, a, with an attitude, I just want to be like Him. I want to be like God. I want to, I want to know Him. I want to understand what He desires, what He loves, and I want to love that. I want to love like God. I, I want to live like him and I, 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 those things that God's going to work through in my life as I give him my gold, he refines that. But then those that, as he gives me greater understanding of who it is that I worship, how it is that I'm to be like him, 
that I'm to offer him godliness. That's the frankincense of our lives. But then there's a third gift. There's myrrh. And myrrh, really quickly, it just represents, it represents death. You know, they understood that this baby was born to die. And they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, myrrh, again, is found in the worship of the temple. It's one of the holy ointments. But myrrh specifically was used for burials. In, in John 19, when they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, that's myrrh, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. We see that, again, this this. This perfume was meant to, meant to signify something. It was firstly a recognition of his mission. This myrrh was a recognition that Jesus came to seek and to save. And the way that he was going to do that was to die. Was to be willing to die. And I hope that you're glad that he came with a mission. He, he came also, this, this myrrh is a recognition of his willingness to die. And that you and I were the beneficiaries of the, the willingness that he laid down his life to shed his blood, to die, to be buried, to rise again the third day. And I'm thankful that, 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 that there was recognition of that in the lives of these wise men. They recognized that. But, you know, for us, myrrh represents, really, lastly, a recognition of our willingness to lay down our own lives. You know, myrrh is, it's a, it's a, comes from a specific tree again. You know how it's collected? It's collected by injuring the outer bark of the tree. You have to wound the tree. And then the tree bleeds in effect. And out of that, again, this resin, this, what it is, it was a dry resin. And it was used in different forms for, for different things, but... It was really used for burial. And right there, there's a great picture of really our willingness to be living daily, but dying daily. A recognition that actually much of our lives, if we're going to live it for Christ, is a daily dying. In John 12, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You know, I think the, the reason why we don't see great fruitfulness in our lives is not we're not willing to die to self. We're not offering up myrrh daily. We're not saying, Lord, here's the myrrh. Here's my willingness to just die today. Die to self. Die to personal ambition. Die to my own desires. In fact, look at the last place we'll turn to. Look at Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And notice verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. You know what he was saying there? If you're going to truly follow me, part of it is just a denial of self, but a dying to self. That's the way of discipleship. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. You know how we're going to have that savor of myrrh? It is to, is to follow the pattern of Christ. And that's a, a willingness to die to self. You know, the Lord Jesus, being God, he said, not my will, but thine be done. You know, when was the last time we said that? When was the last time we woke up and tomorrow's a new day, it's a new year? When was the last time we woke up and we said, Lord, take my life? Lord, here's my life. Lord, I, I'm, I'm dying to self today. Lord, this isn't, I want to deny myself. I want to deny these earthly pleasures and, and I just want to live for you. And our daily dying really is our victory through Christ. It was Christ's death 
It was Christ's burial and resurrection that gave us the victory. So in our daily dying, the myrrh that we offer him, it's a dying to self. We lift up the myrrh that so pleases the Lord. And so those are the three gifts. Now we're willing. Do we recognize that he is king? So we have our gold, frankincense and myrrh. We have gold that speaks to the fact that we're willing to be under his authority. We're willing for him to work in our lives and at times even to bring us through some refining. We have our frankincense that speaks about our godliness, our willingness to not only offer up ourselves, but offer up that, that, that godliness that only comes from him. But then lastly, we give our myrrh. And our myrrh is really just that preparation. It's a willingness to say, Lord, here's my life. Take it, use it. Lord, I die daily. And so the wise men gave appropriate gifts to Jesus. They recognized the young child to be who he was supposed to be, the king of kings. And we have this season of commemorating his birth. We have this season now of renewal. We have the 1st of January tomorrow. And so do we recognize him as we all, not with gifts, but with our today. Not, not with simple, simple tokenisms, but the truth of who he is, the, the reality that he is the owner, that he is the authority of my life that actually this life is his to live. And, and are we going to give him the appropriate gifts that he deserves as we head in 2024? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We want to thank you. Lord, firstly, for being our example. Lord, of, of, Lord telling us through your word who you are. And then, Lord, just the opportunity then to, for us to truly worship you like we should. And, Father, I know, Lord, that as I studied this myself this week, there was a great sober, soberness about it. Lord, there are many things in my life that, Lord, you pointed to. And, Father, I just needed to just get that right, to be more godly, to come with a, a greater dying to self. To, to have a willingness for you to refine my life. And Father, I pray that you'd help us as your people to recognize who you are, the King, our Savior, but our King. And then, Lord, to come with a, that worship to you, the appropriate gifts that you deserve. Pray that you'd help us. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. We're going to have our time.